Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Hey, everybody, it's Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview series, and we're back again with a another episode with Rebecca Sperry. Uh, you may have been following her story over the last few episodes, and we're back this time to talk to her more about what it's like for the people in her life uh, as she's been going through her cancer diagnosis and treatment. And we want to get some insight into what it's been like for her support system, which includes her mom and her husband. And as usual, I'm here today again with uh, my co-hosts, uh, Jessica Harris and Mike Turner, and they will be speaking to Rebecca here on some of these different topics. It's great to see everybody today, and we're really looking forward to hearing more. The other thing that we're going to talk about at the very end of this, too, is um, some news that Rebecca received over the past week. Um, and we just want to talk to her a little bit about that and somebody that's very special to her in her life. So Rebecca, we haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks, um, and we just wanted to find out a little bit about you know how the chemotherapy's been going, how you've been feeling, and just a quick update on that. So I am in. I just finished up my ninth round yesterday. Weeks, so week seven and week eight of chemo. Uh, week seven was uh, not too bad. I thought it was going to be worse than it was. Week eight was a little rough, and typically it's kind of like this strange roller coaster where you'll have a good week and then a bad week. And it kind of stinks because then you anticipate the bad week <laughs> before it even starts almost. And I knew I was getting my chemo a day early this round, which also made me a little nervous because now I know, you know, having done this one other time where I got it early, I know I'll feel a little extra awful because it's not, I don't have as much time to recuperate from it, but it hasn't been atrocious. And it's kind of, it's hard almost to decipher one week from another at this point because I've gone through so many, but like. The bad days on the weekends, I literally will sit there in bed and just be like, I can't do another round of this. This is just a relentless beatdown that doesn't end. Um, I have maybe two days a week now where I'm what I would consider normal. It's not my normal, but it's normaler than the other days. So it's tough. I mean, I'm getting to the end and I'm tired, but I also just try really hard to get to stay focused on just each day because you really honestly can't go through it any other way, I don't think, and handle it because it's too overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a tough a tough road, um, but we're you know we're hopeful. I mean, and it sounds like you're getting towards the end. Um, I know you've got at least looking at some of your Instagram posts a little bit of misgiving, like ending chemo. And moving into a different type of treatment with radiation and all that. So I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that. I think, you know, also as we get closer to that date, uh, there's a certain routine you're in. And yeah, it's once you get in that routine, like even with chemo, I'm sure. Yeah, you just want to kind of keep going because it's familiar. You know, it's, it's hard to move into new unfamiliar territory. Yeah, it's weird. I'll have to learn new people and go to a different place. And it is scary kind of too because it's – you become a um, – you you become comfortable in the routine and you become comfortable with the people. And then the idea of switching, it's like, you don't, it's hard to do that. And even though I want to be done, cause I'm not, I feel awful. I don't want to keep doing this, but at the same time, it's scary to think of not doing it almost 
Yeah, pretty interesting effect for sure. Well, thanks for keeping us up to date on that. And now we're going to uh, move over to Jessica and she has some questions for you. Awesome. Sounds good. So we had some questions that Rebecca asked mom because mom has been a pretty big support system for you, right, Rebecca? Yeah, she takes me to all my treatment, um, all my chemotherapy treatments. And just, you know, I mean, basically, my mom and my husband are my people that kind of have been my two top support members throughout the whole treatment process and diagnostic process. They're just there for me in any way they can be. Um, and she comes over and she'll bring food or she'll just be there to like chat with me. And we just um, we've been able to spend a lot more time together now because I'm not hiking as much or I'm not going north as much as I was. So it's actually kind of in a way it's nice that I get to spend more time with my mom because we usually try to do like a walk during the week and stuff. And it's just been really kind of a nice um, way to spend more time with her. I'm like, you know, it's kind of a bad circumstance, obviously, but at the same time, it's a blessing in disguise, maybe that I get to spend more time with my family right now. I think the, a lot of people can relate to that because this year has brought a lot of people um, under not great circumstances together. And you have to value that time at least a little bit, you know? So yeah. one of the questions that we asked mom is you asked her, can you tell me about a favorite memory during childhood? And man, this response was great. She said, the day you, Rebecca, were born, because I was told I would never have any kids, so I feel like you were a miracle child. As a mama, I get that. That's great. <laughs> um, and then we asked her, what's your favorite hike that you guys have gone on? And she said, every hike I go on with you is my favorite hike. Part of that is because you usually go solo, so it's kind of special if I go with you. Mount Major last year was good because I didn't know if I was in good enough shape to do it, cardigan with the fire tower, and I was eating all this hiking food, and I had carrots, strawberries, and a sandwich. Do you want to talk about either one of those trips? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so I hike solo, and the, I think my mom and I, are, I hike with very, I've hiked over the five or so years I've been doing it, only with a handful of people, and my mom, I think I've been on the most hikes with, for sure, probably. So it's kind of special when I go with her for sure, because it's like, I almost am infamous about I don't hike with other people. And so then the fact that I'm willing to make the exception, I think helps her feel better. Mount Major, she she and I have hiked that a few times together. And she wants to do it every year to see if she can continue to hike it. I don't believe we did it this year because of COVID. And it's just been a crazy year. Um, but we had for a few years in a row. Um, in Mount Cardigan, she was actually eating really healthy food, the carrots and strawberries. And then I sat down and broke out a bunch of hiker food. And it was just like this really funny um, juxtaposition between our two meals. I think that's what she was talking about there. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like carrying carrots. I'm like, why are you eating carrots? That's not going to give you any energy. Oh, I love that. What a mom. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then speaking about you hiking solo, we asked her if it makes her nervous that you hike solo and she's <laughs> absolutely terrified, <laughs> mostly because I'm your mother and I'm supposed to be able to protect you and make, and it makes me really, really nervous. There's not a lot of wiggle room for error. Kate Mastrova's story, sometimes I'm scared you won't have common sense to turn around. I don't want you to be alone and have anything terrible happen to you. Because then you'd be alone. I actually feel like your chemo and stuff is much safer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm a little surprised to be honest about her response to that. 
because mm-hmm. I've done this for like five or so years now. And I, I know Jason has become much more comfortable with it, but I didn't really, I assumed she had become more comfortable with it as well. I guess I was wrong in that assumption because, <laughs> um, yeah, she, she was very much, it was an easy, quick response. Absolutely terrified. <laughs> um, and Kate Mestrova's story. So Kate was a woman who came up here from, I think it was New York City, and she hiked. She was atten- intending on doing a full or a half Prezi traverse. She was training to do um, mountaineering. And so she ended up actually dying on uh, Mount Madison. No, Mount um, Adams, like right below the summit. And she she didn't have the wherewithal to turn around during a bomb cyclone. Um, so it was not necessarily that she was making safe choices. <laughs> she wasn't prepared. She didn't have the right gear. It was kind of a big story because this man wrote a book about it called Where You Will Find Me. And it's a really, really good book, but it's a huge eye opener. She was up there by herself. And I think my mom knows about the story. So she, she kind of, I think, worries, well, what if that's my daughter up there too, sort of, um, but yeah, I was surprised she said that she feels like the chemo and stuff is much safer. Well, and I'm wondering because Jason gets to see you come home, right? So he sees you leave and then, you know, kind of sees you after. And yeah. maybe because mom doesn't see you. Like, yeah, maybe. I think she, I think she's just a worry wart yeah. about the hiking. So I have a GPS tracker and it's, she has the link and my husband has the link. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two people I think that have it actually. Um, but they can track me. I, every 10 minutes it drops a pin or whatever. And I text her after I finish my hikes. I always say like, Hey, I'm done. I'm driving home. But I think that I didn't really, I think she goes through phases where she's more worried than others. Um, and she's like, I can't even watch the GPS because she'll sit there and like watch me hike and stalk me on it. Um, Hey, you know just, what? us moms, we just do some weird stuff. We know. <laughs> yeah, <world>. yeah. <laughs> I think she's just super worried that I'm going to get hurt because I'm by myself. Yeah. Well, being that last sentence, she said, I actually feel like your chemo and stuff is much safer. So switching kind of over when she first heard about cancer, about your cancer diagnosis, she said um, it was scary. She never thought of it as a death sentence. My major concern was not knowing how extensive it was and knowing that when they had to do surgery and stuff, whether they would have to do a mastectomies. I have so many friends that have survived breast cancer. If you had told me any uh, different kind of cancer, I would have been much more scared. Yeah, she um, she was actually there the day I got the call to confirm it officially. So I was at her house and we were just hanging out and I knew I would be getting a call at some point within the next day or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad I was there in a way because, you know, it was nice to have someone else there. But I was also nervous about how it, she would react to the news because I knew it was I knew deep down it was cancer. Like the whole week after I had the original ultrasound and everything, I knew it was a, it was cancer and I was trying to prepare myself. I was also trying to prepare my husband a lot. Mm-hmm. That it's probably going to be cancer and my mom because they're, they're trying to be positive, of course, and be, you know, hopeful that it would come back negative. But I mean, a 90% chance it was what I was given that it was cancer. They're basically just confirming that it is. Yeah. So I was at the house with her when I got the call from the doctor to confirm it. And 
she actually responded really well and didn't cry or anything, which made me feel happy because it always makes me uncomfortable. She starts crying. Yeah. I don't know how to respond. Um, but yeah, um, she has a, a lot of friends that she's known that have are survivors of breast cancer. So that's a good reference point for her. And so she, she takes you every day of chemo. She drops you off and picks you up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. During chemo, can someone be with you? Yeah. So it's because of COVID now they won't won't allow anyone to have any visitors and you can't even have anybody at your appointments either. So every place is handling it a little different. Like my surgeon would allow Jason to come into my appointments with me to talk to me about everything. My oncologist, my medical oncologist, which is where I get the chemotherapy, doesn't allow anyone, not even after the first appointment. Like for all my follow-up visits, he can't come and you can't have anyone at the chemo with you. So unfortunately, she has to drop me off and then spend five hours doing something and then pick me up. I can't imagine being mom and watching your daughter, but the relationship between her watching you go and hike solo to having to watching you go and do chemo solo. Yeah. Definitely a connection there. So our last question for mom was, how does it feel supporting your adult child during chemotherapy? She said, it feels good that I can be there for you. It makes me feel hopeful. I like being able to do things and to help people. So I would be frustrated if I couldn't do anything. I feel there's a certain usefulness to me being there for you. That's part of why I feel so scared about you hiking alone, because there's nothing I can do. When I'm there with you while you're going through chemo, it's like I'm doing something. There it is. Yeah, she definitely struggling with the hiking thing. <laughs> I can see from and her he, responses. You know, from everything that between the world situation and um, your cancer diagnosis and treatment and all of that and hiking, she's really worried about you hiking. <laughs> I know. That's like her top fear. <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, reaching out to her and grabbing those questions and us having a little bit of insight to that. Yeah. Um, I know that Mike is going to um, take over and we have some other questions from husband Jason. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Jessica and Greg. You know what's interesting listening to that story is, uh, I guess I want to know, have you always been the the strong one in the group? Cause it seems like if it was anybody else, you know, it would have been a lot different story, but you seem like the one that's just, you know, even with all the things you do with hiking and your education, you, you are good at attacking big goals. So it doesn't seem like, seems like you're the best suited for this. Cause you, you are practiced at taking on big things. Have you always been like, I mean, this is not related to your Jason, but this is just a general question. Yeah, actually, that is me in the family. Um, so because my, my dad passed away. Um, actually, today is the day he passed away 28 years ago, interestingly enough. Um, but he died when I was nine, and he left us when I was five. And so my mom had a boyfriend and stuff throughout the years. She'd have boyfriends, but like she didn't have anyone that she ended up um, staying with when I was a kid, but like I've been the rock of the family, I think, ever since dad died. I always, I just like took on that role automatically. And like I always wanted to protect my mom and my brother, especially from just everything, like the world. And so this was actually a very difficult thing for me because I was now the 
I couldn't protect them from this. I could not hide this from them and keep them safe from this because obviously you can't hide cancer. Um, or I don't know how you could really, to be honest. So I, even throughout all of it, through this whole situation with everybody and like, you know, having to share the news with everyone, I've just done what I always do, even though now I'm the person that's the sick person. I always have been very much like I keep everyone safe and I put on a positive, I put on, I have a positive attitude and I put on a smile and I just try and be like protective of everybody else in the family, sort of, especially my immediate family. So through treatment, I've done the same thing. And I think that's part of why, like my mom had said that it really helps that I have such a positive attitude about it because, and that's part of why I continue to be so positive is because that's how I've always been. And my, my husband at first, when I first got diagnosed, I really was struggling to keep it together kind of mentally um, and not be an um, emotional wreck. And then he had like a really hard time with that. He had kind of like a mini meltdown one night. And that was the turning point for me where I, I went into like protector mode and I just really got my act together kind of mentally and did what I had to do to keep myself together because I had to, I have to for everybody else too. So that's really, I guess that's what this episode is kind of about. It's about, the struggle for your family is a real struggle. Obviously it's not it's comparable, not even the same as your struggle, but it is a something that people go through and your family and your loved ones and your kids and whoever, you know, whoever's in your family that goes through these changes as well and, and trying to accept it. And it's certainly not the same story as yours, but it's real. And getting into, you know, Jason, it, you know, we asked him a bunch of questions and passed them through you and you, you guys got back to us. So, we want to get into a little bit of that. So, I mean, you guys have been together for a long time. Where did you meet and, and how long have you guys been together? So we've been together since 2005 and we actually met a mutual friend's wedding. They were trying to set us up and this was back in the days when you don't go on, there wasn't like Tinder or apps where you meet people with that you don't know. And they were trying to get us to go on a blind date together. And we were both like, no, I'm not doing that. But we happened to both be at their wedding because we were friends with the bride and groom. And so it was like kind of one of those instant connections. And we spent all of our time together from that moment forward, basically, um, until now, essentially, like we're always together, kind of. And it it was a quick, like we got engaged within a couple of months. And then we got married within a couple of years. And then just have always been together. We spent wow. a lot of time together. So at your age and at 2005, you were probably about 18 when you guys got married, huh? No, I wasn't. But I was like, I was 22, I think, when I met him. I'm 37. Okay. I have a really, I have a hard time doing the math. I think I, I want to say I was 22 and then we got married. I was 24 or maybe I had just turned 25 because we got married in August. And then, hmm. yeah, I was young. I mean, that's pretty young. Oh, Yeah. For sure. And then and then the hiking, how has he been with your hiking before you were diagnosed? Was he comfortable with it? And then after the diagnosis and then moving on, you know, six months, how is he now? How has he been around that? Has it changed? Well, at first he was, you know, it was difficult for the first probably few years with me going solo. And then I got the GPS and it kind of helped alleviate some of that stress. I think that he could track me and know where I was. Now he is 
a lot more comfortable. And he, of course, still worries, but he mostly worries on longer hikes. Like if I'm doing a 20 mile hike, he's going to worry more. Or if I'm out for multiple days um, versus if it's just like a single day and I'm doing, you know, a normal amount of mileage and stuff. Um, he did say, I think if you didn't care about somebody, you wouldn't worry as much. Um, so I guess that's kind of a good thing that he clearly he cares a lot about me if he worries. Um, he knows I'm a professional, which I think is funny that he considers me one, but he has said that a few times. He worries a lot less now. Um, and it's not even like he worries. He said that it's more like, um, he just kind of thinks about me, I think, and just is, is, uh, waiting for me to get home, I think, is more of what yeah. it is now. Post diagnosis, he was worried at first. The first few hikes I went on, he was, I was very, careful because I don't want to cause a search and rescue to have to happen. And I know I'm playing with fire to a certain extent hiking through this. So I was cautious and careful about what specific hikes I did and still am very cautious, but I would message him a lot more on those first few hikes versus now. Like I've gone a few more times more recently and he, it's more normal. Like I'll text him when I get done or um, one or two times throughout if that yeah, that's what's nice about the, uh, the modern GPS, whether you have an in-reach or a spot, they both have the ability to send text messages, you know, or if you get to camp and uh, that's always nice. It sounds like probably because you're, he knows your strength. So he knows, you know, yeah, you're a badass. So he doesn't have to worry, but he still worries, but he knows that you can physically handle yourself in the, in the condition. So I'm sure that brings him a lot of, uh, a lot of, solitude knowing just your skill level you know yeah uh, and the only thing that concerns him now is he does he's he mentioned that he sees me go from being normal to completely wiped out in less than 60 seconds which is why he gets worried and he's glad i carry a gps um typically that's on my really bad days i don't hike if i'm feeling like that because that's just not smart and plus i wouldn't have the energy to so but yeah on my bad days it's bad i'll go from about I'll go from normal to needing to lay down and take a nap within a minute. It's that fast. And uh, so when you back to getting your diagnosis, how, how did he react to that when he first heard the news? Uh, and you heard it together or you, you knew uh, it passed it on to him or. So I got the, well, I got the unofficial kind of diagnosis the day um, I got the ultrasound and he was in the waiting room because of COVID and, all that. And so I was by myself and they told me, we think it, you know, we suspect cancer and I just broke down. And so then I'm sobbing and I said, can I at least have my husband in here? So they brought him in as I'm sobbing. So he thought I had been told I had cancer. So then he was sobbing. And then when we found out that I, you know, hadn't been confirmed, he was calmer. It was really awful. The whole COVID thing made it a lot worse because he couldn't be there for me, I think. But then when he found out after that I officially had it, it was a lot less of a reaction of emotions, I think, because he was preparing and I had been preparing him for it probably being cancer. So, um, mm -hmm. but I can tell you for sure in, in doing these questions with him, we had to stop because he was pretty emotional about answering them even and go back and start over because even now it's really hard for him to see me like this. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to, to, you know, to know what's happening, but then to go back through it and, and really try to, to dig into it. 
it's more challenging. Sometimes it's easier just to just to try to get by, get through the days and not to try to dig too deep into that. Now, I know what you're saying. And so as this has progressed, we asked him, you know, how, how does it feel to, to be supporting you? How does he, you know, how does he get through the, the days and how does he feel supporting you? And like, what's day to day like for him? Um, well, so he works full time. So he's working right now, actually. Um, but I typically have chemotherapy on Thursday. So Saturday and Sunday are my bad days. So he will spend the weekend doing basically anything and everything, which he does throughout the week a lot too. He'll do the dishes. He just does everything. So I don't have to worry about anything. Cooks me all sorts of food on the weekends and brings me food. And just, he, he basically caters to my every whim on the weekends, especially. And then he goes grocery shopping and just picks up around the house. Um, but his response I felt was really, it was tough. He started, he got pretty emotional. This was actually the question that made him really get emotional. Um, he said, he, it feels good to be able to take care of me as take care of you as much as I can. Um, he's limited in how much he can help. So much of, um, his thoughts have shifted away from himself to the person who's lying in the bed mm-hmm. and his whole priorities have shifted and he would hope that other people's would as well. So he, I know it's really hard for him and he puts on a good, a good front and acts like he's okay a lot, but I know he's pretty stressed just because there's nothing he can do to fix me. He has to sit there and watch me be sick basically. Um, and he can't fix me. So he does everything else he can think of since that's the one thing he can't do and probably the one thing he wants to do. Yeah. That's yeah. For, for people that are, uh, everyone's that are task oriented, you know, you know, people that show their love through tasks, it's easy to get buried in just doing tasks, you know, but it doesn't always, it's not maybe what you want to do, but it's kind of what, it's a good way to fill the time and to fill the those holes up is just by stay busy. Yeah. So we did ask him, you know, does he have any advice for other, other spouses in similar situations? And he said that, uh, he said every situation is so different and just just the generic be patient. He says it can be rough at first, but things do calm down. And although it's not normal, life can become sort of normal. And uh, and we have a light at the end of the tunnel versus other people that don't. So it sounds like it's just about accepting the new normal and just becoming good with it, I guess, is the way. Yeah, he um he is, he's good about being extra patient with me. And it is really hard to give advice because it's true. Everyone is in such a different situation. And thankfully we have a light at the end of the tunnel where there is an end to this. It's not terminal. I'm not going to be getting treatment until I pass away. So I think that he, every round of chemo, I mean, he's (laughs) so excited that I'm almost done now because it's not easy for him either. It's difficult for him to, he's going through it and almost as much almost as difficult for him as it is for me i think sometimes because he can't he would love to take my place i'm sure and have to have the chemo for me and he can't so yeah it's uh just being patient i guess and knowing that you have an end in sight helps a lot i think yeah that makes sense you kind of back to more of a we know he's he's more of a private person and you're obviously not you know (laughs) Uh, we've known you for a short while, but, uh, you know, it's, it's quite the dynamic between you two. So is it been difficult for him as, uh, being married to someone so 
you know, public and how he's so private and how is he, uh, that existed before this. So has, has that changed at all or has it been, a, you know, how is he handling that? Is it the same? Um, it's like he had said, he, do, it doesn't bother him. Um, he does think that social media is for people who are really young teenagers and that grownups shouldn't be on. Well, like for example, Snapchat in particular, he is, he thinks it's ridiculous. He thinks it's such a teenage thing for me to be on. Um, <laughs> but he loves to pick on me if I use Snapchat ever. Uh, and same with TikTok, which I don't have TikTok. I refuse hey, to get TikTok. Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong with a third old <laughs> woman enjoying TikTok. I just, there's nothing wrong. I just can't do the videos. I'm not a it video person. It is wholesome. I know. I just, I don't watch videos. I'm not, I don't actually use YouTube. So he's a YouTuber and he'll sit there and watch tons of YouTube for hours. And I don't even know how to navigate the system because I don't use it at all. But yeah, he, uh, he, he likes the fact that I'm a big deal because he likes that people are so supportive of me and kind. I mean, it really touches his heart too. When I get things, I'll get People asking me for my address and I'm starting, you know, it's difficult at first because it's like, well, I don't know you, but I've gotten more comfortable with if the person's spoken to me on a regular basis, I'll give them my address, they'll send me something and it touches his heart. I mean, he'll, he'll tear up if people send me stuff. It really, it makes him feel really good that that many people care about me, but he also likes the fact that he doesn't have to be part of any of the social aspect of it. Um, he's uh, really into beekeeping and that's kind of his thing. So he'd rather just you know, go do his bees, his beekeeping. And, but even right now, because of me being sick, it's really hard for him to even enjoy that at this point. Cause he doesn't want to leave me ever. He, yeah, we, we were reading his responses and we were chatting before the show because he wrote in there, you know, I would just rather be me and my bees. And I was asking Greg, is it as a New Hampshire guy, is that a phrase or is that something, <laughs> is that something you say? Or, and he was like, no, I think it means he actually has bees. Yeah. Yeah, he has a, gosh, I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I think he has 12 hives right now. He wants to get up to about 25-ish. Um, Good, because we need, we need the bees. Uh, it's been a big problem uh, with climate change, and there's been a lot of problems. We need we need more bees. Yeah, he actually makes his own queens and everything. He's really into it. So what, uh, you know, we talked about your, your, your mom being support and your, and your, you know, Jason being supportive. What what other you know supports do you guys use? Are, are you are you guys religious or what else has helped you yeah. through this? Well, so we're we're Christian, so um, you know that's helpful for us because we have that faith in the Lord helping us through the whole situation, and also just I hate to say it, but like the after you know passing away and things like that, we have you know our beliefs on how things happen, you know, at the end of life, I guess, and. So for him personally, I think that's a huge part of getting him through this is knowing that he's not going at it alone. He has the Lord with him. Um, he has had also work has been really supportive and he has a couple of really great friends that, you know, reach out and they just check in and family. I mean, so many people I can't even put into words how many people have messaged between him and I are, uh, we live in an apartment building too. So neighbors in our building have sent cards and they all know what's going on and, so it's honestly, it's, it's, it's a huge community of people, not just for me, but for him too, that are supporting us. Um, but it's definitely for him. The, the Lord is a huge part of, for him helping him get through this, I think. Yeah, that can be, uh, 
it sounds like, man, between all that combined, uh, it's just nice to see that humans are still kind. Yeah. If you watch the news, you may not believe that, but it's nice to see that community still exists and the world is still still good. Yeah, it's actually unbelievable how many people have reached out to me personally through social media that I don't know. And I mean, it's like hundreds and hundreds of people that have messaged and been like, you know, we're, we're rooting for you, you know, stage just all the positive comments. And then I'm inspiring other people who have cancer, which I think is probably more than anything, more important than anything sort of for me is that I can make it so other people are less afraid and also make it so other people feel like they're not alone in this because it can be a pretty isolating thing to go through. So thanks a lot, Mike. I uh, appreciate you and Jessica going through all those questions with uh, Rebecca. I think we got some really excellent insight into you know what it takes to support somebody that, that's going through a really difficult time right now, like Rebecca is. Um, and w- just one thing that popped in my head at the end there, uh, talking about Jason and just in people in general is, I think, at least in my life, myself and other people I know, sometimes it's really hard to be vulnerable enough to accept help from other people in the community, even friends or family, like you don't want to bother them. You don't want to, you know, put them out or or feel like you're imposing or anything like that. And I'm I'm just interested, Rebecca, if you or Jason or your mom or anybody that's been with you through this, like, have they had any issues initially, like accepting help from people or, you know, and, and did they get through that? Obviously, it seems like they might have at this point, but what was that a difficult issue at first? That was really and still is very hard for me Um, as the person who's typically the help giver. It is extremely hard for me to accept things from other people and not feel like I need to reciprocate. So he's very good, I think, about being more willing to accept things from people when people offer to help. People will offer to make food for us and things like that. And it is a little awkward at first because it's like, um... I don't know. That's just weird. And I don't know. It's just a little bit uncomfortable. But then you kind of learn to accept it. And uh, one of my friends actually told me and she was the one who took care of her mother, who passed away from breast cancer. And she told me that you people are going to want to help and just let them even if it's like making you a meal, even if it's just sending you something, let them because they want to help because it makes them feel better too. So I keep trying to remind myself of that. Because it really is, I have a really hard time accepting help. Even when I was a little kid, my mom told me when I was like two years old, I kept, I would say to her, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. When I would be getting dressed, like I wouldn't let her help. I've just always been very much an independent person. So that's been really tough. But I'm trying to be more okay with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely, definitely a tough thing, I think. Because we just we want to feel like we can do everything, you know. But there are times today. Yeah, everybody, I think, goes through those times in their life where they just need a little helping hand. And it sounds like you've got plenty of support. So I'm glad to hear that people are out there for you and and able to help you through this. So that's great. The one other thing we want to talk about um, on this episode, and it was something that you know wasn't initially planned, but Rebecca and I had been um, messaging a little bit. And I'd also, you know, we all keep up to date on her Instagram and something came up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, obviously it's been going on longer than this, but it kind of uh, really kind of came up more in the last couple of weeks that we became aware of um, that one of her former students, she had actually been going through her own cancer battle. She had been battling 
a very, very rare type of cancer called Ewing sarcoma, which is a bone cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Extremely rare. From what I'm reading, like only a thousand people per year in the U.S. get this type of cancer. Very young person. And unfortunately, she passed away, you know, only just a few days ago at the age of 19. And so, you know, Rebecca made us aware of this and and we wanted to give her this opportunity to just talk about her student, her friend, what it's been like in her cancer battle, along with her, her student uh, at the same time, and just anything that she would want to talk about there. Yeah, Monique was an amazing person. Um, I've known her for almost, well, about three years, which doesn't sound very long, but it, it feels like it was a lot longer than that. I knew her before she got diagnosed and I knew her throughout the entire time she went through school with her cancer diagnosis and she had three different, she can, she called it three different, you know, battles with cancer basically. So her final battle, she started this um, this past summer and I ended up getting in touch with her and talking to her when I got diagnosed with cancer. And it was really nice because even though I have a lot of people on social media who are also going through this, and I'm friends with a couple of people in particular that I feel like very close to sort of, and we're both in the same place in our in our journeys. So it's kind of like I have these other people going through it with me. Monique was kind of my person um, that I knew her in real life, and we knew each other and spent time together. And she was kind of, I don't know, almost like I always thought in my head, well, it's okay because I at least am not alone because I got, you know, Monique going through it with me a bit. And so even though it was totally different treatments and she was in a completely different stage and totally different journey, we were in it together. It's kind of how it felt. So yeah, she ended up passing away last Friday and I, it was really difficult because she had ended up waiting a long time to tell anyone that she was terminal. So I found out that she was going to die less than a week before she passed. And it was difficult too because of the fact that I only got to speak with her a few times, couldn't see her because of COVID, um, other than on her phone, and wasn't there for her when she was, uh, you know, passing. But I know, you know, she was supported by a huge family, and her mom was is an amazing person. But it's been it was hard losing her because, and it's still it's a little difficult. It's gotten better. Since I would say probably the beginning of this week, it's slowly I've started to become more comfortable with the fact that she's gone and stuff. But it was really tough the first few days because it was like I watched someone pass away from something that I'm battling myself currently, even though it's a totally different form of cancer. It's cancer. And it's a real it's shocking and it's kind of a very real reality, a reality check. Like you're fighting something that will kill you you don't get treatment for it, or if treatment doesn't work. And it was just really tough to kind of be in the position I'm in and then watch someone pass from cancer. Um, plus, I knew what she was going through in the end, like how she had passed. And I knew it wasn't going to be, I know they make you as comfortable as they can, but dying. And I can't imagine that that's a pleasant experience. And I know our last conversation was really rough. She actually she said she was scared and it was actually something that I felt you don't always get that side of people where they're genuine and vulnerable and she was scared that she was going to die, which everybody's afraid. I think of that to an extent, I would think, um, it was just so real and so 
honest. And she said, she said, I, I, I'm scared. And then I said, I know. And then, you know, you're scared and I'm, I'd be scared too. And then she asked me if I knew anyone that had ever died before. And I said, yes, that I had known a lot of people. And she said, did they go to heaven? And I said, yes. She said she was going to go to heaven too. And it was just, it was really hard because there's not anything I could do to stop what she was going through. I couldn't change it for her. Um, I had to have, she had to die. She died. Um, it was her time and there was literally was nothing else they could do. She, she would have had to continue to have her lungs drained on a daily basis. Um, but boy, it was, I don't know if I'll ever forget that look on her face when she said she was scared and just one tear fell. And it was heartbreaking to know that that was, there's nothing I could do to change that for her. And I couldn't take away that fear. And she was probably one of the strongest people I've ever met because she did not once, the whole time I knew her, the whole three years, she was never negative or depressed or sad or angry. And she graduated high school through this. And she never stopped fighting, not even I. She didn't stop fighting, period. Not even though, she, even though she died, she didn't stop. She did not stop fighting. She, she was unwilling to accept the fact that she was going to die, um, because she refused to quit and refused to stop fighting. So, um, yeah, I mean, talk about a strong woman. It was absolute blessing to have ever met her and have her in my life. And I'll never, ever, ever forget her, um, ever. Because just, I would have, I'd love to be that strong through what she went through. I could, I don't know if I could do what she had to do. The decision she had to make as a child about her body and she's an adult. She was 18. I mean, she had to make decisions that I can't imagine having to make. And not once did she ever complain. And she was always there to support me and always kind of make me feel better too. So just an amazing person. and. I'm thankful that I got to know her. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, was just, yeah, very, very intense, I'm sure. And I, I'm sitting here very affected by that story. And I know that Mike and Jessica are too. And um, yeah, I mean, just so young and just that type of rare cancer is just such a, um, such a difficult thing. I can, I'm just at a loss. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but okay. yeah. It's just, it's just so hard to hear stories like that. Um, but, but the strength that she showed that you just testified to is just amazing. Um, and, and to have somebody like that, you know, going through that and still supporting you and I'm probably supporting other people too, I'm sure in her way, um, just shows the type of person that she, she is. So that's, that's just incredible to hear. For anybody you know that that's listening, uh, we're absolutely going to link to Rebecca's posts on Instagram and on her website uh, that that talk very deeply about all of this. Um, and we hope that uh, that you'll read through it because it's just a really touching. And and I think the way that you express in words, you know, obviously as a writer, um, it, it just really brings it home. So we're we're going to really be happy to link all that uh, on the podcast show notes as well. Thank you. Well, thanks again for sharing that story, Rebecca. Um, you know, incredibly moving. And as we said, we'll we'll be linking all that information onto our, our show notes. We've had a really good time talking to Rebecca about some of the people that have really supported her throughout her journey. 
obviously very intense, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that people go through um, trying to support somebody who is facing cancer or another chronic disease or or some other, you know, big event in their life. We're, we're just really pleased to hear the support system you've got from your immediate family, from all the people reaching out to you, you know, through social media and other other outlets. We're, we're hopeful that that just gets you up in the morning every day. And I know you're a super strong person and you would do it anyway, but it's just nice to have all of that uh, kind of support out there and then being comfortable enough at this point to allow people to, to provide that to you. And so it sounds like that's uh, been a little bit of a journey, but you know, you're, you're there and uh, it's good to hear that people are out there and willing to put that time in for you as well. Uh, so that's another episode of the Mile 99 interview series, another episode of Rebecca Redline's Cancer. And uh, we're very pleased that uh, she's you know, joining us every couple of weeks here. And we'll be releasing this episode at our usual time on a Sunday afternoon at 5 Pacific. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be joining her again and getting together to find out really more specifics about her hiking. Obviously talked a lot about it, but like really getting into some of the things that she does, uh, that she's learned uh, that work well for her. Whether it's planning or gear or diet or whatever else that she's taken from hiking and learned through hiking. So we're going to really dive into that as well. Get some hopefully some really useful information out there for people and some advice that as they might be getting into this uh, same type of activity that they can use on their own. So we'll look forward to that and uh, join us again. Go on to our Facebook page and you can find us there. Uh, give us a like on the Mile 99 interview series. We also have a new website set up, which is the mile99interview.com. And you can find all of Rebecca's episodes there. If you click on the episodes link at the top, you'll see a Rebecca Redlines cancer category and you can find all of hers specifically right there. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, click the rate show button and give us a, a review on Apple or Podchaser. And we also will uh, see you on Instagram at the Mile 99 interview. And again, we'll link everything that uh, we talked about today and Rebecca's sites on our show notes. So we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the trails. Bye-bye.